fair. No fair, no fair. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and wow, it's been quite a while, hasn't it? Why has it been so long? Well, I don't really know, to be honest. I've been a bit busy, all the standard excuses, but it wasn't really those things. It was more that I felt like the show had reached a conclusion. And I just wanted to sort of let that sink in and and maybe percolate a little bit, not just for anyone who may have the misfortune of listening, but also very much for myself. I really needed to think through what is the next step of this little uh, thought experiment that we're conducting here. And then it came to me, uh, there is a natural next step. Deep hmm, uh, not sure what that was. That might be an issue with the audio. Uh, what I meant to say was just, you know, sort of continuing the train of thought. Um, so I'm not sure what that noise was. Uh, did you did you hear that? Maybe it was just in my headphones. Unless you are up for it. Just, yeah, no, no I know. I was just asking. So I find myself uh, lying here in bed. <clears throat> and no, I'm not trying to get sexy on you again. It's more... Um, I'm trapped here in a hotel room in Perth, and uh, I thought, well, I'm going to bring my podcast equipment and see if I can knock out an episode, as they say. Um, actually, they probably don't say that because it, it it sounds like you're talking about masturbation when you put it that way. But um, pump out an episode—that's not much better. Sorry. Maybe podcasting from bed isn't a great idea. Anyway, so here I am, trapped in my hotel room, and uh, I have to actually hold the microphone, and uh, you know, I've got all this uh, equipment sitting here, cables going everywhere. Quite an interesting little uh, setup it is, but you can't get much more mobile than this, and I know Sam Harris uh, podcasts when he's in hotel rooms as well, so if I want to get into that league, I've got to learn to do that too, I suppose. So I put out a post on Facebook. Uh, saying that I had this equipment. It was more of a um, tech porn post, but I did ask if anyone had any ideas for episodes that they'd like me to cover. And I got a response that was a, a pretty good one. Uh, I don't usually get a lot of responses except from people who are, you know, basically shills of mine, good friends who are very supportive and like to make me feel like uh, I'm not talking into a void all the time. But I got a response from someone I had never even heard of before, someone who's a member of the group. And uh, I'm going to screw up your name. I'm sorry about this, but uh, her name is Anya Barshay-Wig Solberg. Now, I know a Christian Solberg, so I did wonder if perhaps you were a relative of Sol who does a YouTube channel and was a big supporter of Popcorn Lobotomy and vice versa. But then I looked and realized you're from Norway. So I don't know. I do have one friend in Norway, so perhaps 
you found the podcast through him. But either way, welcome to The Fold. Thank you so much for responding. Anya said, looking forward to more episodes. Thank you for your show. You're welcome, Anya. What about fairness? Now, I thought that was interesting. She put fairness in inverted finger quotes, but it's an interesting question in itself because it's something that I think is often overlooked. And I'll explain that as we go through. But you probably operate under a presumption, possibly without even knowing it or being particularly aware of it, that humans are selfish creatures. And when I say that, I bet it has a truthful ring, right? Humans are selfish. Humans act in self-interest. Everything we do is to gain something for ourselves. And even if your tendency is to reject this notion, and believe me, if it is, I'm on your side, you still have to deal with the fact that this assumption underpins quite a lot of how we've structured society. It's at the heart of economics and capitalism, for instance, the idea that people will be motivated by self-interest in all of their transactions. And in fact, Adam Smith is quoted as saying, it's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. Now, Adam Smith was actually apparently quite keen on making a distinction between self-interest and selfishness. And he believed that selfishness would lead society to ruin. But over time, that message has kind of morphed and the idea of self-interest and selfishness have become almost synonymous in the underlying philosophies of our economic system to the extent that we're almost all kind of buying into the Gordon Gecko-esque Wall Street philosophy of greed is good. But those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast are probably starting to understand by now, I'm a supporter of humanity. And uh, that might sound like a strange thing to say, but it seems like everywhere you turn these days, people are saying things like humans are a virus on the planet and all we do is destroy the, the, the natural environment and all of that kind of stuff. And yes, some of that stuff does ring true even to me, but I very obstinately refuse to hate my own species. So when I hear something like humans are selfish, I need to find a way to reject that. And this came up, oh, it must be a few years ago now, when I was having an argument with a friend of mine about the selfishness of humanity and all that kind of stuff. And I realized I didn't really have a leg to stand on in the argument other than we shouldn't hate our own species, which I think is self-evident, but it's not exactly scientific. So I had a bit of a hunt around on the internet to find perhaps some studies or scientific research that could prove my instinct, which is that humans are not purely selfish. And lo and behold, I did. I found a well, it's a pamphlet, in fact, not a paper. Um, of course, I'll put the link in the description of the podcast episode so you can go and read it for yourself. I hope you do. The pamphlet's called It's Cooperation Stupid. It's written by Charlie Leadbeater, who, uh, if you search on YouTube, you can find doing quite a lot of TED Talks on interesting topics. Strangely, not this one, though. It seems the pamphlet is really the only uh, evidence of this train of thought and this research. However, I'll probably just read from the pamphlet a little bit 
just to give you a sense of the type of discussion that it goes through. In the paper, Leadbeater writes, the case for the market, which goes back at least to Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations, people's self-interest should be harnessed to produce the public good of higher productivity and greater choice. But then he goes a step further. He says, self-interest also underpins the case for government that goes back at least to Thomas Hobbes, who warned in the Leviathan that without government to enforce rules, society would degenerate into a chaotic war of all against all. The state and the market lead to quite different solutions to social problems, but they start from the same place. We are born selfish. In the hands of laissez-faire neoliberals, the assumption of selfishness became the lens through which almost all public policy had to be seen. Their message was that the best way to get things done is to appeal to our self-interest with offers and incentives, financial and material, that can be calculated and weighed. Selfishness became so deeply embedded in our account of ourselves, however, because it was driven by the intellectual pile driver of sociobiology with Richard Dawkins at the controls. In The Selfish Gene, published in 1976, Dawkins warned, If you wish, as I do, to build a society in which individuals cooperate generously and unselfishly toward a common good, you can expect little help from biological nature. Let us try to teach generosity and altruism because we are born selfish. Let us understand what our own selfish genes are up to because we may then at least have the chance to upset their designs, something which no other species has aspired to do. Very interesting stuff because when you think about it, selfishness does underpin the case for government. So if we had changed that assumption or at least done more research into it before building our entire societal structure around it, would we have a different society now? And the answer is, of course, there would be differences. Uh, if you change the underlying assumptions of any mathematical equation, you'll end up with a different result. So it's worth acknowledging that governments and the power structures of the world have a vested interest in maintaining this assumption. The mainstream media is not going to come and save us from this. We need to educate ourselves and come to our own understanding because the power structures will just maintain themselves. And this is a very convenient point of view for them to do exactly that. So I use this phrase survival machine, a body, an individual is a, is a survival machine. And that's by far the most powerful way of interpreting what an individual organism is. An individual organism is a throwaway survival machine for the self-replicating coded information which it contains. And the fate of that coded information is crucially bound up with the fate of the body in which it sits. If the body in which it sits dies before reproducing, then that coded information is not going to go on the next generation and the next and potentially for tens of millions of years. So the genes that are in the world today distributed as they are in bodies of millions of different, different species, are here today because they were good at what they did in the past. They've come through an in, a literally unbroken line of successful ancestors where unsuccessful non-ancestors have been littered by the, by, the, by the wayside. Now that, I think, is an inspiring vision. And that's what fired me up about... about um, uh, the, the, the very idea of the selfish gene. 
So you might be thinking at this point, and I bet Anya is right now, what on earth has any of this got to do with fairness, the apparent topic of this podcast? Harvey's just droned on for 11 minutes about selfishness. What's that got to do with fairness? Well, the reason I start there is because essentially the antithesis of selfishness as a motivation is fairness. And that's indicated quite strongly in the paper, It's Cooperation Stupid. One of the main points of evidence that they start the paper off with to prove that humans are not selfish is what's called the ultimatum game. Now, this is a, well, it's a game, but it was used as part of an experiment to determine how selfish human beings really are. The idea of the experiment is that you approach one person and you tell them they can have $100. All they need to do is strike a deal with a stranger in such a way that the stranger will accept their deal. So the thing they have to weigh up is how much of the $100 should they give to the stranger in order to ensure that the deal is struck. If the deal is not struck and the stranger rejects the offer, no one gets any money at all. Now, if you assume a selfish capitalist economic view of the world, you might think that the best strategy in this game would be to say, offer the stranger $1. That stranger's $1 better off. There's no reason why they should reject the deal. But one of the caveats of the ultimatum game is that you need to fully disclose the rules of the game. So if you went up to a stranger and said, I'm going to give you $1, the stranger would probably go, okay, cool. But if you go up to a stranger and say, I've got the opportunity to win $100 if I split it with you, how about I just give you $1 out of the 100 and keep 99? Then the stranger is going to say, hang on a sec, that's kind of a ripoff. I mean, yeah, I wasn't going to make any money from random strangers today anyway, but if it's only going to be $1, fuck it. I'll make sure you don't win the game either. And it turns out this is what the researchers found. People, first of all, very rarely made low offers to start with. It was only about 20% of people who would try a low offer like $1, $10, $5. And the majority would offer over $40. And as you would imagine, any offer under $20 was rejected by the stranger. Now, you might argue that this doesn't prove that we're not selfish, because at the end of the day, the person in the experiment is still trying to earn themselves an amount of money. But what it does show quite clearly, I think, is that when a deal is unfair, it's likely to get rejected even when there's a net negative result for the person rejecting the deal. And that means that fairness trumps selfishness, and not just selfishness, but self-interest. And when you consider that some of the most pervasive structures that we've built in society are based around the assumption of selfishness, you've got to kind of reevaluate everything you know about the social systems that we've built collectively and claim to believe in. Perhaps the goal of trying to optimize incentivization and social systems for humans should start with a reevaluation of the underlying assumptions. And yes, it's a bit of a political statement, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. Maybe that's not what you came here for, but I just find it too interesting not to mention it. 
But of course, this behavior, this central barometer that we have of fairness and justice, that can only happen in an evolved mind like a human, right? I mean, surely that doesn't happen in the animal kingdom. So a final experiment that I want to mention to you is our fairness study. Uh, and so this, this, this became a very famous study, and there's now many more, because after we did this about 10 years ago, uh, it became uh, very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys, and I'm going to show you the first experiment that we did. It has now been done with dogs, and with birds, and with chimpanzees, um, with, but with Sarah Brosnan, we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber for the task, the two monkeys side by side, they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row. So cucumber, even though it's really only water in my opinion, but cucumber <laughs> is perfectly fine for them. Now, if you give the partner grapes, the food preferences of my capuchin monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket. And so if you give them grapes, it's a far better food, uh, then you create inequity between them. So that's the experiment we did. Recently, we videotaped it with new monkeys who had never done the task, thinking that maybe they would have a stronger reaction, and that turned out to be right. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape, and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber, and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. And if you're wondering what the audience is laughing at there, it's monkeys cracking the shits, basically. Uh, the same monkey who was happy to eat cucumber all day long, as long as that's what the other monkey was getting too, is suddenly throwing the cucumber back in the experimenter's face. So yes, this is something that happens in all forms of life, and you could argue that it's an evolutionary strategy that makes sense from a survival standpoint. Now we're talking about fairness, and I think we've established it's an underlying intrinsic part of human nature. And I tend to stay away from the idea of human nature, if you haven't noticed, because I believe to an extent, humans are a bit of a blank slate. You're born with genetic predisposition, but whether or not those genetics are activated is very much determined by your environment and your interactions with other people. But it does appear this barometer of fairness that appears inside most of us is actually there from a very early age. If you think about it, one of the main phrases that you hear kids say all the time is, no fair, no fair. You know, it was played in the uh, intro clip of this episode. And that was Pet Cemetery, by the way, just in case you're wondering. The original, not the remake. 
And if you watch your own thoughts, you'll find that you're constantly evaluating the fairness of every situation in your life. It's a fundamental filter that we run every experience through. And it's something that determines how we behave and react to any situation that we find ourselves in. And a recent event, which I think exemplifies the importance of fairness, is the apparent suicide in prison of Jeffrey Epstein. Now, say what you will about Epstein and his guilt or innocence, but just understand that to the alternative media and the conspiracy community online, Jeffrey Epstein was a linchpin of all the elite pedophile rings and satanic nonsense that apparently goes on in the upper echelons of our elite power structures. Conspiracy theorists have been saying for years that Epstein's been doing this sort of stuff and that he's been running this, these pedophile rings. And the fact that he was ever arrested took everyone by surprise. But it also gave them hope that this entire house of cards may just have been about to fall apart. Because when you think about it, if Epstein had turned over evidence of everything that he'd seen, at least a small handful of very well-known public figures would have been embroiled in a scandal and would probably have been prosecuted. It may have led to a chain reaction that could weed out the most disturbing aspects of what may just be the core of all the corruption in our government and other power structures. It was a very big deal and it split the entire alternative media into two camps. The first camp had hope that maybe something had changed and that this prosecution was going to go ahead, actually go to trial, get televised. And then the other camp were a little more skeptical and said, there is no way that Jeffrey Epstein is going to be allowed to live long enough to testify. And then lo and behold, not one but two suicide attempts and Jeffrey Epstein is now deceased. And if you told me five years ago that you'd get an entire community of alternative media conspiracy theorists crying and mourning over the death of Jeffrey Epstein, uh, I would have told you that you're a dirty liar. But as it turns out, that's exactly what's happening because Jeffrey Epstein became the beacon of hope for that entire community. But of course, now social media is being bombarded with all of the memes about how the Clinton family or the Trumps or whoever else arranged for the death of Jeffrey Epstein. And it's all apparently quite quickly okay to laugh about this situation. But the important thing to understand is that the people were denied justice and that that is going to inflame their sense of fairness. And that is a dangerous game. We've built our whole system around the idea that humans are exclusively self-interested and incapable of purely altruistic behavior. Yet the evidence we see in the world disproves that claim over and over again. If you just stand on the street and open your eyes for five minutes, you'll see people helping grannies across the street, giving money to beggars, helping each other with their shopping or um, finding their car keys, with the exception of the 
predatory class of rich and powerful people who control much of what happens in the world, human nature is not to be competitive with one another, but to cooperate and to help and to give back because we have a sense of fairness and we know when we owe something on the ledger. And that's the most beautiful thing about the human race. And that's why we've been able to perpetuate our species, despite the fact that there's many things about us that would make us lose out in a purely predatory organizational structure. I mean, if we had to live with lions, we're probably not going to be top of the food chain, are we? The truth is that our historical understanding of what motivates human beings is pretty shallow and doesn't reflect the complexity and depth of how we really behave. The average person has honor, integrity, and a sense of justice and doesn't want a free ride or an equal exchange of value. In fact, we're willing to take a hit to ensure that a deal is fair. We want the species to survive, and that includes the planetary ecosystems that support it. We will sacrifice our own individual interest in order to see that happen. The truth is, it doesn't make sense, even from a self-interest standpoint, to be selfish. It leads to social ostracization and has outcomes counter to any goals that a self-interested person might be attempting to achieve. This is where fairness comes in. We all have our own internal barometer that tells us if a transaction or exchange is fair. And while it might be colored by cultural variances or social conditioning, it is unwaveringly consistent. And the science backs this up. Most people will reject a bad deal, even if they have to take a net loss to do so. In fact, it would appear that the natural direction of evolution is to become more cooperative and less selfish. For instance, you might find that lower forms of life, I don't like to call them lower, they're, they're cool, they're cool in themselves, but less complex forms of life act more selfishly than humans who have evolved to be more complex and nuanced. So for those of you who happen to be your basic garden variety sociopaths or elites, just know that you're no super species. You're a throwback of evolution. You might be winning the game of life while the deck's stacked in your favor, but all the cool kids are getting more empathy, more cooperation, less competition, and they're getting wise to all of your games. Yeah, good on you guys. You got Jeffrey Epstein before he could testify against you. But it might be a good time to remind yourselves that there's a reason that you've always kept your wealth, corruption, and disregard for basic human rights a secret. Because with the revelation of the method comes an undeniable recognition that you do indeed exist. And there's plenty of people on the planet who are still in denial about the power structures that are in place. Once they understand that the system we live in is designed specifically to favor you and make the rich and powerful more rich and powerful, they'll start to understand that it's not and has never been a level playing field. The world we live in is not fair. 
And maybe, just maybe, such a realization in the general population could lead to the unspeakable, the thing that eventually happens time and time again in every civilization that's risen to power, the glitch in the matrix that you've yet to solve and overcome, even in dozens of iterations of ruling from the shadows. So yeah, you got Jeffrey Epstein, well done. But what if while doing so, you've shown us the true face of power? You guys were so afraid of being caught that you may have just tripped up and led to the very awakening that you've been trying to prevent with all the censorship on social media and Facebook. Once the awakening starts, you know very well that there's nothing you can do to stop it. It only leads to one thing, and that thing is revolution.